and because of this camp, there's a lot of people signing up, and there are people who are asking for help. And so if that's something that God puts on your heart, we would love to be able to send these kids to camp. If you're interested, you can just call the office and let us know, or mark your offering when you drop it in, and we'll be able to take care of that for you and get these kids to camp. Also, because the number of kids has gone up so much, we could really use another boat. So if you have a boat that you want to share with us, or if you just have a whole extra bunch of money that you want to buy a boat, you know, it's whatever, but we, uh, we sell it back next week. It's fine. Um, but uh, let us know. We really appreciate that. All right. Um, the, uh, we've got a couple other things going on. Summer of Love, Trinity, we believe it's, it's awesome to be able to support and connect with our Spanish-speaking people. And so we've got an awesome opportunity to, uh, to celebrate with that. Now, we started to learn, we practiced our Spanish, our Espanol last week. Verano del Amor. Repeat in por favor. Verano del amor. Verano del amor. All right, good. Summer of love. This is awesome. Here's what we're doing. We're collecting a bunch of supplies to be able to, to bless and love them. So we're going to collect diapers and formula, hygiene products, shampoo, body wash. You got it. There's a big box out there. We're going we're to start collecting those things and putting those in, things in. And then on August the 5th, we're going to have a, a, a day where we get together and we give those things out. And we have a big party and we need some volunteers to come and cook hot dogs and play games with kids and paint faces and talk to people. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of Verano del Amor, right? It's going to be good. So if you're interested in that, um, there is a table out in the foyer. You can sign up and get more information on how to help out with that. Another great opportunity that we have coming up, the Christian Aid Center. They're going to do some demo work, and they're going to do some build work. And so they need some people to come and help them move stuff and clean stuff. And so we want to help them do that. On July 22nd, we have an opportunity to go in and help. You know, if you're more about lifting stuff and carrying stuff, then we're going to just walk it over and put it in the new place. If you're more about cleaning stuff or changing bed sheets or whatever, but we're going to do that. We're going to knock it out. Uh, on the 22nd, and it's from 8 to noon. So just short and sweet, get in there, get it done, get out, and help them move into their, their new place. Uh, if you're interested in that, mark the back of your connection card. As we continue to just look for ways that we can have a lot of fun, this next week, this next Sunday, if you have a tie-dye shirt, maybe you have a whole wardrobe of tie-dye, you're going to have to think all week long on what you're going to bring to church next week, Maybe you came to Tacos and Tie-Dye and you made a groovy new tie-dye shirt. Next Sunday, we're all going to be wearing our tie-dye shirts, our tie-dye clothing to church. So, uh, so do that next week. That'll be great. One last thing. We wanted to make sure that you knew we have a job opening here for the children's ministry director. Sharon is moving on to help the Christian Aid Center. And so we have a big need for somebody to help out. Uh, lead these children towards Jesus. And so if you're interested in that, let us know. There's applications in the back or just call the office and let us know. So I got one last question. Can you dig it? All right, here we go. That uh, stand was loose. When it starts to tilt, there's a screw under there. It's almost done here. Just a minute. (laughs) I've got one of these at home, so 
Happens all the time. Okay. So, um, sorry about that. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we always say this, it is really a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, if, if we come together on Sunday morning for anything, it's to turn our eyes upon Jesus, right? It's to come together and remind ourselves of uh, just how wonderful Jesus is. And so, um, good job, uh, uh, Bryson and Emily, with that. And, you know, in this, this sermon series, Can You Dig It, too, it, it's, it's really been a fun summer. I mean, I'm not really known to have fun, but, uh, you know, uh, tacos and tie-dye a few weeks ago, that was fun. Uh, I love hearing this little tune every time, and, and so it is fun. And so I, I was, my attention was caught by this tagline, you know, groovy truths about God and us. You know, that's what we've been learning about this summer. Not only is that, that's kind of like captures the theme. Sure, we're, we're learning groovy truths about God and us, but it also kind of outlines what we've been trying to learn this summer and what we hope to continue to learn, right? We're learning things about God. We're learning things about us. We're learning things about God and us. But today, we're going to look at something unique that relates to God and us. Today we're going to look at something um, different because when you look at, when you look at uh, that phrase, God and us, it kind of raises a question. Well, it's one thing to learn about God, it's one thing to learn about us, but, but what about God and us? I could ask the question, how is it between God and us? Or I could even be more direct and I can say, how is it between God and you? And so today... Uh, more than any other part of this sermon series is going to address the relationship between God and us. In fact, the topic of this morning is salvation. And we're going to see that salvation isn't just about God, it's not just about us, it's about God and us. And so before I go any further, I do want to tell you about a lesson I've learned in my house, at the Wheatley household. So, so my house has a main floor and it has a basement. And sometimes my wife, Gloria, and I might be upstairs with a few of our kids. We have five kids. And so other kids might be d- uh, downstairs in the basement. And there's times where communication between levels needs to occur. And so, uh, you know, we might, you know, there might be uh, something they're doing wrong down there. They're being careless and we need to tell them to stop, or uh, there might be a conflict going on and, and, and we, w- we need to help resolve it, or it might even be just time to eat, right? We send a message down, hey, come upstairs, it's time to eat. But uh, Gloria and I, uh, we often make the assumption, the false assumption, I should say, that if we send a child with, with a message, then that message will be received as though it was spoken directly. I can hear, some of you can relate to this, right? If you're a parent, you can relate to this, right? You, you, you send a message and you expect that it's going to be received as though you had spoken it yourself. Well, we've tried that. It doesn't work. It never works. And if, if we really want the kids to do what we say, we have to go in person, right? We have to go in person. Only then will they not ignore what we said and... Um, only then, right, will, in fact, if they do ignore what we say, there will be consequences. And so, the reason I share this story is because it's somewhat the same between God and us, 
right? Humans are a little bit like kids in the basement, right? Uh, when no parents are, are around, we start to go a little crazy, right? We, we do the kinds of things that we would never do if we knew somebody was watching. And a few Sundays ago, we learned that, that uh, this disposition toward rebelliousness, toward sin, right? It's called depravity, right? We're all, uh, we're all sort of broken, and, and we're, we're like a bunch of crazy kids in the basement. And our natural state, the thing is, our natural state, it's not, we're not just careless like my kids can be. We're actually, we're actually hostile. We're, we're actually enemies toward each other and toward God. And so, so what does God do? Well, throughout time, God has sent messengers relaying His Word, right? He's used people. He's used dreams and visions. He's even used angels to relay His Word. God has made efforts to communicate what He wants people to know. Now, He hasn't communicated with all people in the same way. He communicates with different people, different times, different ways, which results in a different amount of responsibility. And we live in a time today where the way in which God has spoken demands the highest responsibility. And so with that in mind, I'd like to read together a passage in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. So let's take our Bibles. We're going to read uh, part of chapter 1 and then part of chapter 2. And uh, we're going to stay in this section. I'm going to read elsewhere, but we're going to come back to this. And um, Hebrews, of course, is in the New Testament, the second half of the New Testament, so it's towards the end. I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, first couple of verses, then I'm going to jump to chapter 2. So in chapter 1, verse 1 of Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So I'd like to pause there. I'd like you to make the connection. God has made efforts to communicate. He has sent prophets at different times and different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Okay? Now, take that thought. Let's jump to chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment... How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now the reason I chose this passage to talk about salvation is because only here in the entire Bible is salvation called so Great, so great a salvation. 
And one of the primary reasons that makes salvation so great is the one through whom it came, Jesus Christ. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. But, but there's three questions that I'd like to answer this morning that comes from this passage. First is, what is salvation? Second, what makes salvation so great? And third, how shall we escape if we neglect or ignore so great a salvation? So that's where we're going. So what is salvation? Well, if we were to state it very plainly, very clearly, I would suggest that salvation is God's rescue plan. God's rescue plan. Now, as simple as that seems... God's rescue plan is actually very, very big. It's a, it's a very, very big idea. So now I'm at risk of saying either too much or too little about God's salvation, His rescue plan. But one way of thinking about salvation is to think of a spectrum, a, a spectrum between minimum and maximum. You see, we, a lot of things occur on a spectrum, and there's, there's a tendency of, for us to focus on one part of the spectrum while ignoring the rest. So, for example, a minimum view of salvation would say that God wants to rescue you. Now, I don't mean that's minimum in, in price or what, what it took for Jesus to do that, but it's minimum because it's very individual. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that, that, that Christ died for your sins, for your sins. Each one of us is uh, infected by sin. We, are, uh, we have evil in us. We're relationally separated from God. And so I can tell you that Christ died for your sins. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians. Christ died for, yours, for our sins according to the Scriptures. Or uh, another follower of Jesus named Peter said, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. This is part of salvation. You can be brought to God because of what Jesus did for you. But to be honest, I think this is a minimum view of salvation. And I, and I mentioned because it's limited to just you. Not that, any, not that you're minimal or that I'm minimal, but, but I hate to break it to you, it's not, it's not all about you and it's not all about me. Salvation involves you and it involves me, but salvation is much, much more. So to help us catch a glimpse of this larger scope of salvation, the maximum end. I'd like to share a quote from a more recent follower of Jesus named Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer says this, First of all, man is separated from God. Second, he is separated from himself, thus the psychological problems of life. Third, he is separated from other men, thus the sociological problems of life. Fourth, he is separated from nature, thus the problems of living in this world, for example, ecological problems. 
In other words, Schaefer is saying here that we, we all have individual and personal problems. We all have collective and social problems. We, we even have problems that occur in the natural world. And so humans who were originally created to, to love, to serve, to worship, and to enjoy God, have, we've encountered a host of problems. We each have sin and evil within us. We are relationally separated from God. We've inherited this, this sin condition that has killed our relationship with God, producing separation and conflict, which results in personal problems like insecurity, pride, arrogance, fear, anxiety, doubt, suspicion, depression, anger, greed, substance abuse, addictive behavior, materialism, gossiping, impatience, irritability, gluttony, escapism, and the list goes on. These things, of course, lead to social problems like miscommunication, irreconcilable differences, family feuds, shunning others or being shunned, marginalizing the underprivileged, stealing from others, going to war, killing out of hate or for personal gain. And this list goes on. But even the natural world as we know it, as beautiful as as it can be, literally bears the scars of brokenness. Just look at the great Pacific garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean. It's an island of garbage and plastic debris the size of Texas, just floating in the water. Or consider the effects of nuclear disasters like Chernobyl, where the consequences of radioactive fallout affect generations. Think of all the people and the animals caught up in these man-made hellholes, whose lives have been forever altered, leading to suffering and, and deformation. Do you know that scientists tell us that 99.9% of all animal species are extinct? I don't know how they know that. I've often wondered. But 99.9% of all species that ever lived are extinct. So say what you want about global warming or any other problem. This world is not what it once was. And it's not getting any better. And so after Francis Schaeffer, after commenting on these four realms of problems, he says this, all these need healing. All these need healing. And so God's rescue plan is his plan to heal and renew everything. Not just everything in this world, I mean everything. God is going to rid this world of sin and its consequences. He's going to judge every wrong that's ever been done. He's going to set everything in order and begin a new creation with himself at the center. All things, visible, invisible, physical, spiritual, things on earth, things in heaven, all things are going to be affected by God's great rescue plan. This is a plan that's described throughout the entire Bible. It's a plan of purpose and hope. It's a plan of life and healing. It's a plan in which God invites us to participate by faith in Jesus Christ. 
This plan forms the storyline of the Bible. We say it's part of God's narrative. You know, I've noticed this word being used frequently these days, narrative. It's just a fancy word for story. God has a story. Uh, A story is a description of the events of a life. Your life is a story. Your life is a narrative shaped by the decisions you make, the relationships you have, the accomplishments you achieve. We all have a narrative. But the thing is, God has a narrative. Life as we know it is part of God's story. And salvation is His invitation for us to join His narrative, to be a part of His rescue plan. So I I really want you to catch a glimpse of what God's going to do. So to do that, I'm going to read a couple of passages. One of those comes from the book of Isaiah. It was, Isaiah was written about 700 years before the time of Jesus. And I'd like to read a, a, a passage out of chapter 65. So you're free to read along with me, Isaiah chapter 65. At 66 chapters, uh, Isaiah has a lot to say. Or you might say, God has a lot to say through Isaiah. And at chapter 65, near the end... He says something about the new heavens and a new earth. I'm going to read from verse 17 down to verse 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant, uh, plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them, before they call, I will answer While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This statement was given about 700 years before the time of Jesus. And it's a glimpse into what God is going to do in the future. We don't know exactly how or when this will occur. But we can take hope that that what has been written here is a reality. But not only did did, uh, God say this through Isaiah, there's a similar statement uh, at the end of our Bibles in the book called Revelation. Now, about 100 years after Jesus, after the time of Jesus... Uh, one of his followers, John, 
wrote this in, in the book called Revelation chapter 21. And it's, it's going to read very similar. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Salvation is God's rescue plan. Yes, he wants to rescue us from the punishment of sin. Because Jesus died as a substitute for sinners, God offers you new life, forgiveness, and a forever hope. But following Jesus is only the beginning. Not only can we live a new life now, but God has promised a future life that is literally out of this world. So this leads to our second question. What makes salvation so great? Well, I, I don't think I need to go there. But I did mention before that one of the main reasons that makes salvation so great is because it comes through Jesus. Jesus, God himself, become man, relayed the message and performed what is needed for salvation. But secondly, salvation is great because it's maximum in scope. This, this is just my way of helping us think beyond ourselves into a much greater view of what God is doing and what He's going to do. And when we think of this, we must remember that God is inviting us into His narrative. We can join Him. But third, salvation is great because it's true. This message is true and based on reality. So let's go back. I'd like to go back to Hebrews. And I'd like to show you from there four levels of reality in this, in this uh, passage. First, consider the Old Testament. Okay? Our passage from Hebrews says, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Okay? But then he goes down and says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its punishment... See, in other words, if you go back and read the Old Testament, you find out God spoke through people like Moses. God spoke through angels. That's how he delivered the law. God spoke through prophets. 
and those words were true and valid and real. These were real events through real people. It all really happened. But secondly, we can consider Jesus himself, okay? In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And then we go down to chapter 2, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord. In other words, read the Gospels. These are trustworthy descriptions of the life and ministry of Jesus who himself was a real person. Jesus was and is real. The Gospels describe real things. But then there's eyewitnesses in this passage. God also testifying to it by signs, wonders, and sorry, this salvation which was confirmed to us by those who heard him. You see, the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament was written by people who followed Jesus very closely. Read what they have to say about this rescue plan. The details of what it means to follow Jesus don't get any clearer than in the New Testament. But then finally, there's God's own role. As we read this, it says, God also testifying to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. In other words, Check your history books. Nothing like this has ever occurred. Nothing like what happened through Jesus at the time of Jesus has ever occurred. And it's partly due to God's own role in validating all those events. So these statements are rooted in historical reality. The message of salvation is true. It's true. But finally, salvation is great because it's free. I, I could have mentioned this last, but I've chose to, I've, I could have mentioned it first, but I chose to say it last because it's kind of like the icing on the cake. Our salvation is so great because it's free. The Apostle Paul really emphasizes this point when he says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The gift of salvation, the gift to get on God's side and be a part of His story, need only be received as a gift by faith. There simply is nothing like this salvation. God has spoken through His Son, Jesus. All that was done and said by Him is true. It's accurate. It's been confirmed. And He invites us to join Him by grace through faith, like receiving a gift at Christmas or at our birthday. The invitation need only be received to be believed and trusted. And so this leads to our third question. How can we escape 
if we ignore so great salvation. And so hopefully by now you can feel the weight of this question, which I believe was the weight felt by the writer of the question. How will we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? If God has done so much for us, what will happen if we ignore it? And so I'd like to point out two ways that we can ignore this great salvation. One, of course, is by uh, refusal. We can ignore this through refusal. Just like passing a road sign without paying any attention, we can let this message go by without stopping to think. I don't suppose that everybody here believes what I've talked about today. But my encouragement is for you to realize that what I've said is based on reality. Jesus and every Bible writer were real people. Reading or listening to the Bible, and I might add reading and listening to Jesus, is reading or listening to reality. So if it's true, then refusing the message has serious consequences. If you refuse, it's not going to be pretty. The promise of a forever life with God in a new creation comes with an alternative of a forever punishment separated from God's presence. So today is an opportunity to rethink your relationship with God and to change your mind about what you've thought up till now and to begin accepting the truth of what God has done through Jesus. Secondly, we can ignore this great salvation through neglect. Those of us who profess to follow Jesus, we find ourselves in a time in between. Uh, a time between when Jesus went to heaven and when he was going to come back. We believe in the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Uh, we believe our sins have been forgiven through him and that we have received new life. We even have hope that we'll someday enjoy the eternal bliss of the new creation, but in the meantime, we can become negligent. We can become weary. We're tempted to live this life just like everyone else. Living by faith can feel like a burden. We think that we've earned the right to enjoy life a little bit, even if it means living a little bit selfishly. Whatever the case, I would encourage us to cultivate our faith to cultivate our faith. Maintain a habit of, of thoughtful Bible reading and prayer. Maintain a habit of regular fellowship, meaningful fellowship. Maintain a habit of living generously and sacrificially, both with your time and with your possessions. Become part of God's plan to make His salvation known to the world. Whatever the case, I encourage us to cultivate our faith. Many of us don't give thought about exercising, eating right, getting a regular physical, watering our yard, taking care of our car, 
stop doing these things, what happens? You gain weight, your grass dries up, your car runs out of gas. So in a similar, similar way, our spiritual life can suffer and our faith can dry up if we don't take care of it. So these things require effort, they require diligence, they require perseverance. But I would encourage you as a follower of Jesus, don't quit. Don't quit on these things. So I'd like to close with the words of one of my favorite songs. It's an old one, but I just love thinking about the lyrics. It goes like this, To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Shall we pray? Father, you have done great things, and indeed this salvation is great. It is so great. Whether we consider what Jesus Christ has done for us individually in giving his life a substitute for sin, and we can find forgiveness and new life for free, or whether it's the hope that we have in a new creation when, when all that we've known being affected by sin will be done away with and made brand new. Everything in between, our God, we are just so thankful. And how I pray that you would help us to understand these things and to not ignore them. For your great name's sake, amen.